Welcome to season two of Sorting Pen, the California Cattlemen's podcast. Every day, the California Cattlemen's Association is sorting through the issues impacting California's ranching families and producers. To communicate those issues, discuss solutions, and keep ranchers current on the hot topics, CCA leadership developed this podcast. Well, hello and welcome back to another episode of Sorting Pen. Uh, Spring's here. It's a beautiful day and I'm happy to be out in Contra Costa at the Copeland Ranch today. Today kicks off the first day of Earth Week and Friday, April 22nd is Earth Day, which brings a great opportunity for ranchers in California to share more about the positive impact they have on the Earth 365 days a year. Being out on a ranch, you all know the land very well. You're on it every day and you know firsthand how important it is to manage them well. We know grazing is essential, but sometimes in today's modern age and just the way the world is, we forget that and it's not always easy to communicate with the people we come into contact to that aren't ranching every day. With it being Earth Day, I wanted to take this opportunity to remind everyone just how important grazing is and joining me to talk about it today on this episode is Dr. Lynn Huntsinger. Thanks for joining me, Dr. Huntsinger. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Huntsinger is a professor of rangeland ecology and management. She's also the Russell Rossici Chair in Rangeland Management at UC Berkeley, among multiple other things, correct? (laughs) (laughs) A quick thank you also to the Copeman family. We are out at their ranch today. Uh, We're working on some other Earth Day materials, so we're looping it all together. But thanks to them for letting us use their barn. If you hear a little humming in the background, that is their freezer full of meat. (laughs) Quick side note, Dr. Huntsinger, I know you have a very busy teaching schedule, so thanks for making time to be out here. Hopefully we're not taking time away from your students. Ultimately through this episode, I want listeners to leave feeling confident with at least a few facts that they can share this week during Earth Week or beyond about what they do and how important grazing is. And I think just hearing it from you is gonna be pretty beneficial for them. So before we talk grazing specifics, I thought we could start by just having us hearing a little bit from you about who you are, what you do at Berkeley, how long you've been there, and kind of what your focus is. I know that's a lot. Okay, my name is Lynn Hunsinger, and um, as you've already said, I've been at Berkeley for about 30 years now, and I've had a wonderful time uh, in the field of range management. I really cherish every moment I've spent teaching and researching on rangelands in California because they're really the best place to be, as far as I can tell. I grew up in Los Angeles, so I didn't have an agricultural background, but I got involved in 4-H. And 4-H is a wonderful organization. Um, I had sheep, and I had bees, and I had horses, and I had chickens all in a suburban house that did back on to an empty lot. So that was how I thought of as landscape, an empty lot. Yeah, rural. Yeah, rural. <laughs> yes, I had an empty lot. That was a great pleasure. And today I'm on the California 4-H board for the state. And uh, I love doing that. I love, I don't know, it can change lives. So then uh, after that, I went to college and I was always interested in quote unquote, the environment, uh, mainly because all the vacant lots that I had grown to love kept getting converted to houses, which of course is where they were meant to go, but it was ending my rural life in California. So I was very interested in the environment. I was so interested in animals. Um, I can't tell you how many animals I had and kept as pets uh, through my high school years. And I went to college in biology because almost everybody want, you know, their parents want them to be a doctor or something. So I struggled with biology for a little while uh, and that hyper competitive atmosphere. But I, I really wanted to learn more about plants and animals. Uh, and how all of that works. And so gradually, I became part of a class 
where we we taught it. We were students and we taught this class and it was about uh, wilderness, which I now gradually grew out of that belief that there, California was a wilderness. It was not. It was a homeland for people. And it was heavily managed uh, long before uh, Europeans came here. So eventually I wound up meeting somebody and uh, he worked for a ranch. And so I had a couple summers working for a ranch. And I just couldn't imagine anything more interesting yeah. um, and exciting. And so we, we did that. And that I met another person up there who had a master's degree in range management. And I decided that was for me. So I went to college uh, and graduate school in range management and, and wound up here. On your website, with your, or on your faculty page, there are so many diverse descriptions of what you study in and focus on, all the way from rangeland, ecology and management, to Native American history, to livestock, to China. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah, I, I did forget to mention that I actually majored in Chinese history. And it was always a dream of mine to do research on rangelands in China. And so I did, I have had that opportunity now. It took a long time because of circumstances, both politically and with my life. So um, I have done that now and it's very, it was very exciting. But I think what ties all those things together is I'm really interested in relationships between people and the land and between how people live and the decisions they make and the response and stewardship and care of the ecosystem. I really think that's important. And all the people that I have studied are active managers of the land. And that's kind of what links it all together. Yeah. <laughs> and I think they know a lot and I can learn from them and we can do research and figure out some more things. And it's really great. It is great. So doing what you do at Berkeley, we were just talking a little bit about the Berkeley stigma. Definitely has a stigma stereotype with it. Researching cattle and grazing and what you do today being out on ranches, do you get any pushback? Um, not really. Uh, Berkeley is um, a very committed to high quality research, not a particular type of research. In other words, we have had a, a long term, I've been the College of Natural Resources, which at one point was the College of Agriculture, but at Berkeley it was largely focus on forests, but we started uh, one of the, I don't know if it's the original rangeland program, but one of the earlier range programs started at Berkeley in the 30s uh, with Arthur Sampson and, and some other people. So we've had a long, long history at Berkeley and I don't experience pushback. And in fact, I was telling Tim that my students, I, I'm teaching range management right now and I've spent a week or so on animal nutrition and I'm wondering, how do they feel about learning about a cow's digestive system? And they've told me they're fascinated that they never have an opportunity to learn that elsewhere. I also get invited sometimes, uh, a friend of mine teaches about food and I'm invited to talk about livestock production and the benefits of it to a class that probably has 30 vegans in it. It's 150 people, but you know, and, and sure. even they haven't given me pushback. They are interested in learning primarily. And so, no, I'd say Berkeley, you have to do good work. That's absolutely it. But they don't tell you, you what to do. Great, thanks oh, for I, sharing all of that. Yeah, and I wanted to say one other thing about Berkeley, which is it's, it's a really big place and all kinds of people are there. 
Yeah, just like the world. Yeah, it's just right. like the world. So you have different groups of people saying different things and thinking different things. And it's not a, I guess we could say a monoculture. Great. It's a very diverse place. I think that's a really important point. Just like California, it's not all Hollywood. No, that's right. But Hollywood's what you see on the screen. For sure. Right. So getting into grazing, um, just like I mentioned, California isn't known for ranching, but cattle grazing is a very important part of the state's ecosystem. Um, what does your research say as far as how important grazing is to the history of the state and how grazing has been essential for decades? I once went to a talk by a marine biologist and he showed two slides of a coral reef. And one of them was of a reef with colorful fish and colorful coral and it was very beautiful. And the other was of a reef where the fish were gone and these are herbivorous fish. And the whole thing was overgrown with algae. So it was just a green mass. And I feel that that's California's problem. Our grassland has been invaded and continues to be invaded by plants that are tall um, and grow really fast and outcompete many of our native species, shade them out or crowd them out. And much of our wildlife in the state isn't adapted to that kind of vegetation and has a hard time with it. There's a lot of wildlife that struggle with that. And grass, this grass, it's mostly non-native grasses that we see. There's all kinds of species, but non-native grasses are everywhere. I think less than 1% of our grassland today is native grasses. They're still there, but they're scattered in this huge stuff that responds instantly to rain and never suffers from drought because it just goes to seed. So they're incredibly vigorous plants. Anyway, we're being choked by that. The wildlife's being choked by that. We're also, it's really fine fuels that catch fire easily. And we're suffering from that as well. We think about trees, but fire starts in fine fuels usually. And so the grasses uh, of California, the fact that they're so hugely replaced, I mean, they can do a couple tons an acre of this grass can grow every year. It, it's a serious problem. And it happens that cattle eat that. And they eat it rather well, and they like to eat grass. And they prefer, you know, by using their inclination to eat grass, you can really do a lot to manipulate habitat for various species. More than half of our in threatened and endangered species, California Fish and Wildlife Service, now Fish and Wildlife Service says our benefit from grazing, says that they benefit from grazing because uh, they do. They change the habitat by removing that grass and making it more like it used to be. Yeah, so there's uh, fact number one to remember. Yes, uh, more than half of our threatened and, and endangered species benefit from grazing. And it's largely because of this. When the grass dries and it hasn't been grazed, it becomes a heavy thatch. And that smothers things. Okay, so quick note here, Dr. Huntsinger mentions that more than half of threatened and endangered species benefit from grazing. The statistic is specific to the animals and species on rangelands only. It does not include forest and aquatic species. So again, fact number one to take away from this episode is that more than half of the threatened and endangered species that live on rangelands benefit from grazing. Back to the episode. Um. We had some former students do a research project uh, recently. Uh, they're now in Cooperative Extension, and most of them. And they found that uh, cattle grazing in just 20 million acres, and there's cattle grazing on more than that in California, but uh, removes 12, about 12 billion pounds 
of dry grass, dry fuel every year. That's a lot. 12 billion. 12 billion pounds. So I think uh, without cattle, and even with cattle in some places, we've really got a problem with undergrazing. So we need those animals out there. And for we don't have as many cattle as we used to right now. And I think over the decades, they've played a really important part in maintaining our woodlands and grasslands, actually. With fire suppression, there's been a lot of changes, but places where the plants are right and where grazing has been maintained, we're keeping grasslands open. And uh, grassland birds, really important and really declining because our grasslands are declining. So just like in that picture of the algae on the coral reef, grazing is really important. How can we communicate this? Well, I'm trying right at this moment. <laughs> You're doing a good job. But how can producers, if they're talking to someone that knows nothing, yeah. uh, where would you start? Well, there's a fair amount of literature out there put out by Cooperative Extension. I know that seems, um, you know, hand somebody a pamphlet. But I, I was just looking at one on the benefits of grazing. It's two pages long. I mean, I think that's a real service that they put those out. And, and you can review that yourself and be able to talk about research and what it's shown. And I think one of the real benefits is support for research, actually, because a lot of people are, you know, even with the Fish and Wildlife Service threatened and endangered species statements, grazing is guilty until it's proved innocent. And so it's remarkable that 64% of listed animals and 56% of listed plants are in those documents as benefiting from grazing because there had to be some research to show that. And so more, of course, as a researcher, I think uh, doing research where you can show people, look, this person did this research. And we've had some researchers who've made just wonderful contributions in this area. We also think just talking to people, you know, the world's gotten so confrontational, trying to get to make friends with people and and talk to them and share is really nice. And I know there's some videos out there that are good that people might be interested in if they don't want to read a pamphlet. Uh, With that class on food, I don't present it as, you need to understand that beef and grazing is good. I present it as, okay, we get rid of cows. Let's look at the trade-offs. Yeah, and that works pretty well. They take that, I said, look what you will lose. Uh, Most people like wildlife. And when they find out that grazing benefits, you know, burrowing owls and uh, vernal pools and even tiger salamanders and red-legged frogs and all the various species and lots of our endemic rare plants, uh, that really helps. Oh, yeah. That really helps. And I also think people are really worried about fire. So the more we can show that grazing can reduce fire hazard, I think the better. So we can be sure to link that paper that you were talking about with the 64%. On your website, with your research, it says, there's a quote, the people who ranch and steward these landscapes are the key to maintaining the quality of life in California for future generations. I'd love to talk about that. As yeah, I, I started out saying it's all about relationships and uh, getting to know the owners and stewards of California's rangeland has been quite a joy. Most of them really care about the land and take a lot of pride in their stewardship. And I I wish more people respected that. I really do. And I'd, I try to explain that to people every chance I get and in my classes, too. And Tim Copeman is wonderful in having my class out every year. That's one way you can reach people, you know, is by having them 
the students come out here, they're going to go into various natural resource or environmental related fields, and they'll never forget their trip here because it's so rare for them to be out on a ranch with somebody who tells them what he cares about. And, how and I think he that is something it. we have to remember. It is rare. Uh, yeah. We're used to it. And even working at CCA, being out at Tim's today, yeah. I take it for granted that I just called Tim up and said, we're coming. <laughs> Your classes, I think you were just saying 15 years you've been coming out to Tim's. Oh, I'm sure it's been longer than that. Longer than that. And um, people like that are so valuable to us as educators. Really, really appreciate it. The other thing is, I think that rangelands, in terms of it being valuable for us and people in their relationships to rangelands, there is beautiful country up in the mountains. You know, there's Yosemite National Park and all these lovely features that we've preserved. Sure. But the land that we see every day, really, most of us in California, is rangeland. It's grasslands and woodlands. And you view that when you go to work. You view that when you go home, if you're lucky. It surrounds our campus. So we're, we see that every day. And so how the rangelands are cared for is really important, I think, to people's sense of well-being. You know, the iconic oak woodland is the symbol of California, basically, I think, in many people's minds. With your students in Berkeley, maybe what are one or two other things that you really want them to know or that you wish all Californians knew about the significance of California rangelands? I just wish they appreciated that rangelands and ranches are the largest, most biodiverse, contiguous habitat we have in California. It takes large land extents to conserve the full spectrum of wildlife, but also that we have a wonderful tool for reducing fire hazard available to us. Last question, uh, what research do you have in the works right now that you might be willing to share about? Well, we just completed evaluation of California Rangeland Trust conservation easements and showed that they're worth over a billion dollars in annual flow in terms of ecosystem service values. One thing I noticed though, when you do that uh, kind of study, you're relying on existing information and I've just said all this stuff about grazing, but we could not value the stewardship or the grazing in that. It was just the land, just the ecosystems, but such a valuable component, and this gets back to your question about people and the land, there's a huge value there in terms of people stewarding their ranch and the value of the grazing itself. So my newest project, the one I'm probably the most excited about is looking at, can we put a number on the value of grazing, because I think that's a really good way to convey a message to people about the value of grazing. If you can say grazing provides so much in uh, ecosystem services, and I think there's ways to do it because we do all the things, you know, we can mow lawns, we can do all kinds of things, but it's so expensive. So if we look at the cost of those versus the cost of grazing, Grazing looks like a really good value, I think. So I was sad that we couldn't value that in the previous study. And I know I'm really looking forward to doing that. We'll have to be creative, innovative, find data. It's but never been done. I don't, not those we're not thinking of it. No, and I don't think people have really looked, certainly not looked at fire hazard reduction very much. It's pretty new. And yeah. biodiversity. I mean, California is a very special place in terms of the role of grazing and maintaining the ecosystem. Once that's out, we'll have you on another episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think in terms of long-term grazing, to some extent, did help 
the burning of Native Americans, the impacts of creating the state with cultural fire Mm -hmm. before European contact. I think over the long term, grazing helped maintain some of those areas in more open country. They might have brushed up or closed up without it. So, and I like open countries. Yeah, I think we're going to need more of it to get through this next period in our history. I mean, generations of ranchers have wanted to do prescribed burning on their land. Sometimes they've been able to. They really go together well. So it's a really good combination of things for reducing fire hazard. Well, is there anything else that you were hoping to share about today? I wanted to say that in terms of preventing fire and fighting uh, fire around the wildland urban interface in these small areas, targeted grazing is pretty neat. Cows are great for huge areas and for larger areas, but sometimes there's these small areas, brushy, where a goat is better. And what I always say to people is, when a goat escapes, it becomes a humorous section on the news. When a fire escapes, it's not so funny. So uh, that's a really a safe way. Cattle, sheep, goats, all of them are a really safe way to prevent fire. I wanted to share one more anecdote. Yeah. So I have a friend, Sheila Berry, and she's the author on the, of the Fish and Wildlife Service piece about endangered species, uh, cooperative extension here in this county. She worked with this group of citizens who wanted to protect Santa Cruz tar plant. And they would go out and weed and weed and weed. And they had a number of acres and they decided they're gonna go out and weed one day. And they spent all day and got less than an acre done, which started to make them think maybe grazing was a good idea because she'd been trying to convince them for a while, but she showed a picture and I hadn't thought about this. They had huge bags of grass that they cut that they now had to dispose of. And with grazing with a cow, it takes the grass, compacts it down and recycles the nutrients, you know, into the pasture. So I hadn't really even thought about that, how great grazing is in that sense. There's been research that uh, if you get the grass under a thousand pounds per acre with grazing, it, it gets the possible flame length from a fire down to below four feet. And four feet is considered the threshold at which those fires become really dangerous and hard to fight. So. Uh, yeah, they can do that. We really appreciate your research and the time you've invested, even just to bringing students out to Tim's place, the Copeland Ranch. I wouldn't miss it. Yeah, (laughs) it's a great spot. For those listening, if you're interested in sharing more about the environmental benefits of grazing this week and beyond, look for our social media clips. They're going to include Dr. Hunt Singer today out out at the Copeland Ranch, the Copeland family, and other California producers throughout the state just sharing about the benefits of grazing. We'll be back in two weeks. And until then, don't forget to catch up on episodes you may have missed all at calcattleman.org. Thanks. Have a great day.